Amen. This morning we are starting a new uh, series uh, through the book of Jonah. And so uh, this morning we will start off looking at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you are not familiar with Jonah, it's a book in the Old Testament, what is known as the Minor Prophets. Don't be afraid to use your contents, your table of contents if you need to, to find it. It's on page 605 in my Bible. I don't know if that'll help any of you, but that's that's where it's at in mine. Um, it's it goes Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. So that's kind of where it's it's at in the midst of those books. So um, the book of Jonah, and this morning we're going to look at verses one through three um, from the book of Jonah. I'm using kind of as a guide uh, for this whole series a book I uh, found by Sinclair Ferguson. It's called Man Overboard. It's the story of Jonah. And uh, if you want to pick up this book, you can get it from Banner of Truth Trust. I'm not like just reading from the book, but I'm using it as a, as a guide because I found it really insightful and, and really good. So I'm kind of using that um, to guide through this study uh, through the book of Jonah. Probably be here roughly uh, uh, maybe 11 weeks. And I know I said that to somebody last night. They're like, wow, I've never heard 11 weeks in the book of Jonah. Um, But that's probably what we're going to do. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 this morning. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of of the Lord. Oftentimes we can read through a book of the Bible or read a passage of scripture without asking ourselves what is this passage really about or what is this book of the Bible really about. The book of Jonah opens in exciting fashion because it starts with God's self-revelation to the prophet Jonah. And this actually sets the direction for the entire book of the, of the Bible, for the book of Jonah. And uh, this sets a direction because Jonah is a book that is about God, Yahweh, and Jonah, the prophet. But who is Jonah? Well, the name Jonah actually means dove in Hebrew. Some commentaries want to read a lot into that, but I am not going to do so other than to say that there is some irony in the fact that his name means dove and it was a dove that flew from the ark to find dry land after the flood. But what else do we know about Jonah? Well, after uh, the book named, the book is named after him, uh, we don't 
get a lot of information about who Jonah is. And so we see that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. But that doesn't really tell us a whole lot about him. However, these verses do give us some clues as to who Jonah is because we also see him mentioned, we see Jonah mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. Let me read uh, that for you this morning, 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel began to reign in Samaria and he reigned 41 years and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Heifer, for the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. And so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So these verses help us learn a little more about who Jonah is and more about his life believe this is important after all if we're going through a study on a book of a man that talks about Jonah we should know a little bit about who he is so I want to take these verses this morning from 2nd Kings and I want to help us learn who Jonah is this week before we actually dive deep into the book of Jonah so I want us to see who is this guy who is this man, Jonah? And I'm going to take a little bit different perspective than some folks take. Um, some people think that Jonah was never really that good of a guy. Um, I think there was a time when Jonah was a prophet of, of the Lord and he was a servant of God. Um, so that's going to be our first point. Jonah was a servant of God. In verse 25 of 2 Kings 24 which I read, it says, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah was a servant of God. His duty was to advance the kingdom of God through obedience to the will of God. Interestingly enough, it says by his servant. The idea here is that Jonah is set apart, which was a frequent theme for the word servant. And in the Old Testament, it carried with it the idea of being set apart by God for a unique purpose. And in the book of Isaiah, the Messiah is called uh, by God. The Messiah is called by God, my servant. So God speaks about his prophets in the book of Amos. He speaks about his son, the Messiah, as his servants. He speaks about prophets as his servants. Jonah was a privileged prophet of God. He was set apart to serve God. He was called a servant of God. This is how God worked in the Old Testament. He would reveal to his servants, who were the prophets, what he wanted them to do. 
And we see that here, right at the beginning of Jonah, when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jonah was a part of this special group of men who stood in the presence of God, who had God's will revealed to them, who heard the unmistakable voice of God and would tell that to God's people. And they would do what God wanted them to do and they would say what God wanted them to say. This is why one of the Old Testament words for prophet was this word seer. This was a person who had insight. They saw things. They saw into the purpose of God and they were commissioned by God to bring God's people under the authority of God's word. And this is who Jonah was. He was a servant of God. He was a prophet of God. Though we do not know for certain from this passage in 2 Kings, um, when it was written, or when Jonah was this, when he, when he fulfilled these duties, but it was written before Jonah went to Nineveh, which is what Jonah is about. Um, it seems like it was written before he went to Nineveh. It would seem to me that that this is a reference of time uh, before he ever left to go to Nineveh. We don't know that for sure, but it seems obvious to me. One of the reasons being as we notice that he was faithful as a prophet during this time in 2 Kings, and he's not faithful in the book of Jonah. The people would have remembered that he had proclaimed um, during the reign, reign of Jeroboam, they would have remembered Jonah. Um, they would have remembered that he proclaimed that God would bless Israel and that they would expand their borders, not because they deserved it, because they didn't deserve it. And certainly not because of Jeroboam II, because as we just read, he was wicked. He was a wicked man. Nor was it because of Jonah, but simply because Israel was God's people and they were oppressed by the nations. And Jonah was simply a mouthpiece of God. And that is what a prophet is. They're a mouthpiece of God. And it would have stuck uh, in their minds this message that Jonah had given. And it would have been fulfilled. If not, Jonah would have been a dead man. If Jonah would have said this, if he would have prophesied this, and then it doesn't get fulfilled, they would have, they would have killed him. Because as a prophet of God, you had to be right 100% of the time. So what Jonah said had to come to pass. Jonah was a servant of God. He was set apart for the purpose of God. In the same way, Israel was set apart for God and his chosen people. And in the same way, we as believers are to be set apart for God, his chosen people called his royal priesthood. We are to be servants of God, just like Jonah was a servant of God. But not only was Jonah uh, a servant of God, but Jonah uh, had a God-given destiny. Jonah had a God-given destiny. We know the times in which Jonah lived, and though he gave his wonderful prophecy of Israel expanding their borders, it was a time of crisis for the people of God. This was a time when the kings did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and what they did had consequences on the entire nation. Nonetheless, God was still at work. God was still raising up prophets who would speak his word with grace and with power. He still had people that he called uh, to be his 
people. And um, that he still had people that would go out and say, thus saith the Lord. And before Jonah uh, was a prophet, you had Elijah and you had Elisha. So in the history of Israel, in the midst of their evil, in the midst of their rebellion, God was still at work and there was still always this glimmer of of hope that went forth and Jonah was one of those glimmers of hope listen you didn't wake up one day and just decide well I'm going to be a prophet that's not how it worked you weren't sleeping and then you woke up in the morning and said well you know what today's a good day to be a prophet that's not how things happened in order to be a prophet of God uh, God would make you aware that he had a plan for you he gave you a purpose he gave you a destiny but here's the thing this happened for prophets like Jonah and I submit to you that it still happens today that you still have a God-given destiny today. Throughout the Old and the New Testaments, throughout history, throughout the ages, we see people in service to the kingdom of God. That God has given them a destiny, whether it was public or private, and they have devoted their entire lives to the God-given destiny that they have. And we just finished a study through the book of Acts, and we clearly see this in the life of Paul, that Paul had a god given destiny. Paul said of himself that he was one who was ultimately or untimely born, I mean, but his very nature, by his very nature, he did not fit the mold of someone who would be used by God. The only reason Paul became an apostle in the first place was because of the mercy of the Almighty God. Listen to what Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me and with that faith and love that are in Christ Jesus the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost but I receive the mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God gave Paul his destiny over and over again throughout his ministry. Paul makes it clear that God called him and that he answers to God and that God set him apart and that God gave him his ministry, that God allowed him to plant churches. You get the picture. Paul realized that it was all from God. This was all part of his destiny. When God gives you a destiny, it's a blessing. Can it be burdensome? Sure. But ultimately, it's a blessing. Why? Because it keeps us going. It helps us avoid temptations. Paul knew from the time of his conversion what he was destined to do. There was no question. He knew that he was to go to the Gentiles to open their eyes. This didn't happen immediately. He didn't just uh, uh, get converted and immediately went to the Gentiles and, and start preaching the gospel and suddenly Gentiles were converted like crazy. That's not how it happened. That's not... What transpired? First, he went to the church at Antioch, and through the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit uh, used them to recognize the gift of Paul, that Paul was being called to a special ministry, and then they sent him out. 
Paul was beaten. Paul was imprisoned. He went through hardships. He went through shipwrecks. He went through riots. He was snake bitten. He was whipped. He was left for dead outside of a city. He went through just about every single hardship you could ever imagine someone going through. But listen, church, over and over and over and over again, what sustained Paul was not Paul. It was not his strength. It was his God-given destiny. Paul knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew exactly where he was supposed to be going. And therefore, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, he was able to press on. He knew what he was for in times of darkness, in times of stress, in times of heartache, in times of pain. Paul pressed on. And I submit to you that it is the same way for everyone that is a believer of Jesus Christ today. You have a God-given destiny. Every Christian has a God-given destiny. Every single Christian. Now, I didn't say some Christians, and I didn't say a few Christians, or I didn't say if you're super spiritual Christian, if you read your Bible every day, and if you pray every day, and if you get down on your knees, and if your jeans are all worn out, then you have a God-given destiny. I said every single Christian has a God-given destiny. I didn't say every Christian will be famous. I didn't say every Christian will have money. I didn't say every Christian will have a great life or have your best life now. I said you have a God-given destiny. Now that plays out in your life in many different ways. And how it plays out is secondary to the importance of what is of utmost importance, which is the destiny. In this, I mean this, that every single Christian that has ever come to know Jesus as their Savior, every single one knows what they are for. They know what they're for. It's not about what your neighbor is for. It's not, hey, I wonder what, what my neighbor down the street is for. It's not, uh, it's not about what your coworker is for. It's not about who your mother or your father or your granddad is for. It's not about who your kids are for. It's about what you are for as a believer of Jesus Christ. Right before Joshua and the Israelites captured Jericho, Joshua has an encounter with a man who's standing before him with a sword drawn. And Joshua said this, Are you for us or for our adversaries? The answer that Joshua received turns around his way of thinking. Here's the answer. And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. That's it. That's all he said. Joshua falls down to the ground and he worships. The question was not who this man was for. The question was, who are you for, Joshua? Who are you for? Did Joshua know his destiny? Was he for the Lord or not? And listen, every Christian has a God-given destiny. You are for the Lord as a believer. 
Queen Esther had a God-given destiny. She was afraid to intercede on behalf of God's people even though they were facing annihilation. Mordecai urged her to serve the Lord when he said to her in Esther chapter 4 verse 14, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the, Jew, for, for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It was Mordecai's question that caused Esther to realize her God-given destiny to which she would go to the king on behalf of her people. And her response was this, if I perish, I perish. Church, the scriptures riddled with people that knew their God-given destiny. Nehemiah knew it. He was tested to give up the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He was distracted on many occasions, but he knew that God had called him to rebuild the walls. And he was to rebuild the wall, which is why he said in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, in response to the distractions, he said this, And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? People are used by God all through Scripture because they knew their God-given destiny. Listen, when you understand your God-given destiny, you know that whatever happens, you are doing the work that God has called you to do. It's when you lose that sense of destiny. It's when you step out on your own and do your own thing that you falter and fail. I submit to you, Jonah knew his God-given destiny. Jonah knew that he was God's man. Jonah knew that he was God's servant. Jonah knew that he was God's prophet. He knew God's will for his life. And as we see here in the first verses of Jonah, God is once again making it clear what his destiny is. We are no different. God has told us what we are for. You know your destiny, Christian. You're not out there trying to seek it. You know what you're for. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's your destiny. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. You have a God-given destiny, Christian. Fulfill it. That's your destiny. You don't have to sit there and wring your hands. Oh, I wish I knew what I was supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into the city of Washington. Go into the state of Illinois. Go into the United States of America. Go to foreign lands and preach the gospel into all the world and to every creature. That's your God-given destiny. Jonah, thirdly, Jonah knew spiritual fellowship with God. Jonah knew spiritual fellowship with God. Sometimes when we read the prophets, especially when we read about Jonah, we tend to think that they come from some sort of obscure place. Even thinking of Jonah, we wonder where in the world did this guy come from? Because he just shows up on the scene. Think of Elijah. We see him deliver God's message and then he fades away and then he reappears again and he delivers God's message. Amos is, is tending a flock and the next day he's proclaiming the word of God. We see the prophets as isolated individuals kind of used by God in some obscure way and it's seemingly it's out of nowhere. We're like, where did this person come from? However, it's deceiving to us 
but not to God. Because it only seems as if God is working suddenly in the lives of prophets. In reality, God's movements throughout human history are planned, they're calculated, and they're interrelated. What seems sudden to us is not sudden with God. So, for example, when we think of Jonah, we think, where did he come from? And all we see is this reference to him in 2 Kings. And the next thing we know, we are reading the book of Jonah. However, through 2 Kings, there's a phrase that is repeated all throughout 2 Kings again and again. And it's this phrase, the sons of the prophets. And these words give a hint to us as to what God was doing. God was gathering around the prophets, those who were devoted to his name, those who were gifted in service, those who are loyal servants, and they served the prophets. That's what sons of the prophets were. They were people that served the prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha, and they would be exposed to the ministry of these other prophets, and they would be exposed to the word of God, and they would therefore bear a similarity to those prophets. And these men would be trained to advance God's kingdom in what was the school of prophets. So they'd follow these prophets, the sons of the prophets, and they would learn from them in the school of prophets. Now, we did not know whether Jonah ever belonged to one of these schools of prophets, but we, we do um, know that he was in this generation of prophets. It would seem that therefore, since he existed during this time, that he would be one of the sons of the prophets, therefore in one of the schools, or at least he would know many of them. Why does this matter? Well, because under these circumstances... Jonah would have made an effort to enjoy the encouragement and fellowship of other like-minded young men and women. In other words, he would have fellowship with other people as well as with God. You didn't just randomly become a prophet. You didn't, like I said earlier, you didn't just wake up one morning and say, today is the day I'm going to be a prophet. But instead, God was working and developing people And they were entering these schools of prophets and they were learning from the other prophets all the while growing in their spiritual fellowship with God. Likewise, Christian, we spend time in study and prayer and discussion and evangelism seeking God's will for our lives and fellowshipping with other believers. And and when we do this, it pays vast dividends. Friendships formed through fellowship often last a lifetime. And there's no distance or time that can diminish it. I say this because, Christian, we should be seeking spiritual fellowship with God. But also fellowship with others. We should be seeking to bond and fellowship with other Christians. To live and die for the cause of Christ. You know, I said last week, we're a highly social world. You know, we got social media, social this, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Some of you older people are like, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? But, you know, we have all these things that are social. And yet yet we're not social. You know, you can, you can, uh, (laughs) you can watch families at dinner table and they're all on their phones, playing their game, sending their text messages, surfing the Instagram, you know, whatever. How many likes do I have on this? Am I famous or popular? How many people follow my YouTube channel? Am I a cool Twitter, tweety person? I don't even know. Whatever. But, um, you know, we're, we're highly social. But we're not social at all. We should be seeking spiritual fellowship with other 
Christians to say, you know what? I will live and die for the cause of Christ with you. Instead, we get too busy and we avoid that strong fellowship with other believers. And in the long run, we never really know what it's like to have unhindered fellowship with other believers or a true bond of friendship with other believers. And oftentimes it hinders our fellowship with God. Jonah knew what that was like. Here's what I want you to notice in every single one of these things about Jonah. Jonah was a servant of God. Jonah had a God-given destiny. Jonah knew spiritual fellowship. Every single one of them is in the past. <clears throat> Which leads us to our final point this morning. And that's this. Past privilege is no guarantee of future obedience. Past privilege is no guarantee of future obedience. These things give us a background of the life of, of Jonah. We see the life that he lived. It lets us understand that that who he is, just a little bit about who Jonah is. <clears throat> when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, we understand that Jonah was a servant of God, that he had a God-given destiny, that he knew spiritual fellowship. This was not the word of the Lord suddenly coming to Jonah. This wasn't the word of the Lord suddenly coming to someone that had no clue as to what was going on. When we, when we look at his past, we can certainly be impressed. But when we read about him now, here in Jonah chapter 1, despite all of his past, despite everything that he knew in the past, he's a man who stumbles at the word of God and falls. And the lesson we learn is this. Past privilege, past blessing, past obedience, past service, past ministry, past faithfulness, past fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill it in with is no substitute for your obedience now to the Word of God. You see, your past experience will only bring present fruitfulness if they are met with continuing obedience. You can't point to your past and say, oh boy, look what I did back there. Now I can be disobedient today. And so when we encounter Jonah, here in Jonah chapter 1, he is no longer the man he once was. We will see the reason why in the coming weeks as we read through his biography. But before we dive into those chapters, I wanted us to know who Jonah was. And I also wanted us to see the importance and the urgency of asking some specific questions of ourselves today. Here's a question I want you to ask. As you think about the life of Jonah, and as you think of, of all that he did in the past, I want you to think about these questions today. Am I currently living an obedient life to the Lord? Or do I only have memories of obedience? Am I currently living an obedient life to the Lord? 
Or do I only have memories of obedience? In other words, can you say, oh, I remember when I did that. I remember when I did that. And I remember when I did that. But you do nothing currently? Question number two. Do I dwell on what I did in the past as a substitute for my responsibility to be presently living a life in submission to God's will? Do I dwell on what I did in the past as a substitute? So in other words, I did this then. And that's a substitute for being responsible today to live a life in submission to God's will. Church, these questions are critical. There are many people who talk about what they used to do. What they used to accomplish. I used to do this spiritually. I used to accomplish this spiritually. There are many people who talk about the mission trips they used to go on. There are many people who talk about the times they used to share the gospel. There are many churches that sit around and talk about the good old days. Remember our church in the good old days? Remember those days? Remember when we used to do this? Oh boy, we were really growing then. Remember when we used to run 200, 300, 400? Remember those days? Boy, those were the good old days. Remember when we used to sing all hymns in church? Those were the good old days. That was real music. The good old days. I'm here to tell you, your past means squat for present obedience. It means nothing if you're not going to be obedient today. You said, boy, pastor, oh man, that's hard to hear. You're darn right it's hard to hear because that's what scripture teaches us. You can talk about your past all you want, but if you're not obedient today, you might as well throw it away. We don't care about your past. God's not up in heaven chalking it up. Oh boy, look at what he did in the past. Okay, he's banked a lot for the past. You got to be obedient today, church. You got to do what God tells you to do today. You got to be sharing the gospel today. You go on the mission trip today. You give to the Lord's work today. You do the things that God wants you to do today. You grow the church today. You don't look at your past and think how great it was in the past. Boy, those were the good old days. The good old days don't matter. You got to be obedient today. Jonah could have looked at the good old days and said, Boy, remember when I was obedient to God? Now I'm going to run. And that's exactly what he does. Some men will say to Christ, Lord, Lord. Remember those things I did? Remember those works I did? The good old days. But they don't serve God to the end. And they're going to hear these words from him. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work lawlessness. And in that moment, your past blessing will only serve as a shameful Reminder of your present disobedience. Some people begin and they start off and they fail. Some people continue for a little while 
and they fail. And some people actually finish the course. God's not concerned with your past faithfulness or your past obedience. He's greatly concerned with what you're doing right now. So I ask you, we saw who Jonah was. You a Jonah? That's who I used to be. That's what I did in the past. You have memories of obedience, but you're not currently obeying. You have memories of submitting to God's will, using it as a substitute for current responsibility. I don't know where you're at, church. I guarantee you somebody's going to walk out. Boy, pastor, you stepped all over me. You're preaching right at me. No, I don't, I don't follow you around. I don't know. But if that's how you feel, I challenge you this morning. Repent. Just say, God, I'm no longer going to depend on past obedience. I'm no longer going to depend on why I did in the past. It's time to do something now. Stop relying on your past. It's time to obey now, church. It's time to obey now. So maybe this morning you'd say, that's me, I'm relying on past obedience. I've been a Christian for all these years and I'm relying on, on what I did in the past. I'm not presently being obedient. Maybe, maybe you just want to <clears throat> repent of that. Maybe you want to come forward. Maybe you want to pray and if you pray on your own. Pray with me. You can pray in your pew. I'll give you the chance to respond if you'd like to do that. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, Pastor? I want to I um, give my life to the Lord. I want to surrender my life completely to the Lord. I, I've never been saved. Maybe you don't even know what that is. Maybe you want to talk about that more. You can come up and, and say, hey, can we, can we talk about that more? Can we talk after church? I'd love to talk with you after the service. I just want to challenge you this morning if the Lord has spoken to you in any way and you feel the, the need that you need to respond, I want to challenge you to respond this morning. I'll be standing right down front as we uh, close out with the song this morning and give you a chance to respond this morning. Will you close with me in prayer?